invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew's account of the gospel. Chapter 22. This is the third and final uh, part of this series that we've been uh, walking through on the heart and the, the biblical call for us to have a heart. Uh, week one for God, and then last week, week two, a heart um, like His, and then this week, um, the direction that, uh, that we've really been headed as the scriptures call us to have a heart for God and a heart like His is uh, ultimately a heart that loves. Matthew chapter 22, uh, we'll begin verse, uh, reading in verse 34 and we'll read through verse 40. Um, Jesus said to him, actually we're missing something here. What am I missing? It must have double clicked. There we go. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Last week, uh, I, I made this statement and I told you that if you take anything home with you, please be sure and take this and I'm going to put it back up here. Hello. There we go. God wants us to give Him his, uh, our hearts so that He can give us His he wants us to give Him our hearts so that He can give us His. We find in this text in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and they come to Him to stump Him. And they ask Him, Oh, teacher, what, what um, referring to Him as a rabbi, someone who's taking disciples to Himself and who's, uh, who's uh, teaching those disciples the Scriptures and uh, applying those Scriptures to their lives, they say, teacher, which is the great commandment? What is the one commandment above them all? Is it perhaps uh, not to murder? Perhaps not to steal? Is it perhaps to, uh, to keep the Lord's name holy? Uh, what about the Sabbath? What, what is the greatest of all the commands? And his mind uh, takes them not to the Ten Commandments, but, but to the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, in Hebrew, would say with all of your strength, but he's quoting the Greek Septuagint. He says with all of your mind. The writer in the book of Deuteronomy, speaking to the Hebrew people, and then Jesus here in the book of Matthew, speaking to these, these Pharisees as the disciples are perhaps overhearing, is getting at the fact that God is looking for people whose entire lives are given to him. Just for a point of review, we've been looking at what is the heart. Typically, we think of the heart as kind of the emotions, a very Greek way of thinking. It's the seat of the emotions. It's the passion. But in the Hebrew world and in Jesus' world, obviously as a good Jewish man living in that, in that New Testament context that owed so much to the Old Testament, they understood the heart to be the, the very core of a person's being. It is the control center of life. It is through the heart that we make decisions. It is through the heart that we respond. It is through the heart that we react to things. It is the control center of life. 
It's therefore also the core of our personality. It's the crux of our identity. So when we speak of having a heart for God, we're speaking of having a life that's given to Him. Not just feelings that we have for God, but an entire life that's oriented toward Him. When we speak of having a heart like His, we're not just talking about feeling the way God feels. Last week we talked about thinking the way He thinks and living the way He lives. The heart is the control center. It is our core. It is the crux of our identity. And the scriptures call us to have a heart, as we're going to look at today, that loves. The very core of who we are, the very center. A heart that loves. But before we get to that, I want to look at this term, love. What is love? We define it in a multitude of ways. Hollywood defines it one way. Uh, sociologists define it another. Pop psychology defines it yet another way. The poets talk about it. The philosophers talk about it. The professors talk about it. Love is, is something that, uh, that has a multitude of definitions, uh, a multitude of possibilities of meaning. We speak of loving our spouses, and we speak of loving our Corvettes. I don't have one. I don't know that any of you do. We speak of loving hot dogs, and we speak of loving porterhouse steaks. Right, Bill? You bet. You bet. So, but what is love? Biblically speaking, love is the recognition of worth. To love something is to see its worth. To recognize this thing has worth. It's not just to recognize, but it's also an expression. It is uh, in loving someone, in loving something, we are expressing interest in that thing. And then lastly, it is a contribution of value. To love is to build the value of that thing in which we find interest and in which we recognize worth. Notice those three terms, worth, interest, value, they, they all are kind of connected to one another. To love is to value something. And because we value it, we express that value. Others know that we love it. And not only that, we want that thing, that object's greatest interest. The object of our love. The highest of those objects being another person. We build value into them because we have interest in them. Because we see them as worth something. To love is not just to feel good about something. You can love chili cheese dogs even when they've given you indigestion. Right? When, uh, when folks ask me, how do you feel about something? Uh, if it's something really important, I typically kind of just being snarky say, well, indigestion's a feeling. You want to know what I think about it? Um, so... In, in talking about a heart that loves, we're not talking about just a heart that feels a certain way towards other. Because the fact is, there are some people that it's hard to have good feelings about. That doesn't give us a pass. doesn't mean we can say on the one hand, well, I love them in Christ, but I can't stand them. That's, that's not what the, the, the biblical call is. It's not just to muster up some, some commitment despite the fact that we loathe something. But it is much more than a feeling. Love is something that, that is intended to be there even when the feelings are gone. Even, even when the feelings have waned, even when the indigestion has come, love is something that can remain. 
because love recognizes worth. It expresses interest and it contributes value to its object. The scriptures call us to have a heart that loves. Scriptures call us, first of all, to have a heart of love for God. He is the fountain of love. It is from Him that we understand love. It is from Him that we recognize love. It is from Him that we find things that are lovely. He is the very fountain of love. In fact, uh, John, the Apostle John, writing in the New Testament, said that He in Himself is love. He is the personification of love. He is what love looks like. And all love finds its origin in Him. All, let's go back to there. All things that are of value, all things that have genuine worth are from Him. Whether it's a sunset, whether it's an act of courage, an act of kindness, love finds its origin in Him because He Himself is love. John said, anyone that does love is of God. Why is love so important in the Scriptures? Why uh, such a big to-do of this thing of love? Because love is the, is the very core of God's being. It is the summation of His holy character. It is His very nature. He is love. The Hebrews uh, use the word hesed. In fact, in uh, uh, David read uh, from Psalm 136. Go, go this afternoon and look through there. There's, what, 24 verses? And I think you read the 24th verse there at the end. Uh, it's just a, a short psalm. It's, uh, it's not the shortest, but it's a, it's a fairly short uh, psalm. Go through and read it, because what you'll find is every single verse has, it repeats the refrain, for His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That's the Hebrew word hesed. Mercy is kind of a, a, a weak way of translating it. Uh, it. It is his love. I think that King James would say his loving kindness. They created a word, King James and them, they created a word to kind of encapsulate what that word hesed means. It is, it is mercy, it's love, it's compassion, it's kindness, it's, uh, it's undeserved, and it's all packed in there together into that word hesed. The New Testament writers adopted the term agape or agape, to refer to that kind of love that is self-giving, that is utterly other-oriented. And both of those images, the Greek and the Hebrew, put together give us an image of the very character of God. He is self-givingness. He is, he is self-sacrificing. He gives. He loves. And the Scriptures call us, in response to have a love for God, Jesus, in speaking to those Pharisees, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is but one God, and He is Yahweh, your Lord. And the Deuteronomy writer goes on, You shall love the Lord. You shall love Yahweh, this one who has revealed Himself to you, this one who has, who has bought you, who's brought you out of Egypt without Without any stipulations. It's interesting. Um, 
we typically associate the Old Testament with this God who's mean and angry and wrathful and, and you know, people worked for righteousness and they were, they, they were saved by works, right? In the New Testament, they were saved by faith and that's about grace. What, what is the exodus if that's not grace? One of, the most, one of the most poignant and pressing images of grace in all the scriptures is exodus. The Hebrews are in captivity. They're working their fingers to the bone. They're slaves. They have nothing to call their own. And, and God sends Moses, who's escaped. He ran off after he killed a man. And he says, go back and, and set my people free. And Moses shows up in Egypt. He says, Jews, pack your bags. We're going to the promised land. Why? Because. Why? Because. Pack your bags. We're going. That's grace. The law wasn't given until later after they were out of captivity. It was not until God had set them free that He then said, if you want to enter covenant with me, then here are the ten simple rules. Come on, don't kill people. The scriptures call us to have love for God because He is the very fountain of love. He is the one from which all love springs. Scriptures call us also to have love for others. Jesus says, wait a minute, wait a minute Pharisees, I've given you this first, but you can't have the first without the second because the second comes right after it. He says, the second, I think the, uh, King James says, the second is like unto it. In other words, it's right in there with it. It's just like it. Because if a person says he loves God, John says in his epistle, if a man says he loves God and yet does not love his neighbor, he's lying. He's full of it. It's impossible. John, the Apostle John says, it is impossible to, to convince somebody that you love this God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you love this God who you've never even seen, but you can't love the guy next to you who you have seen. The one you see in need. The one you know has need for love. Jesus says the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting Leviticus 19, 18. If you have a moment this afternoon or sometime this week, go back also and check out Leviticus 19. Very interesting passage. And uh, it's filled with, it is filled with God's call, be holy for I am holy. And then what he talks about is very practical things. Don't take vengeance against one another. That's the context of verse 18. You shall love your, your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that, um, um, that Jesus puts these two commands together. And what he says about them is that on these two commands, on these two things, these two words to you, all of the law, all of the prophets hang. We, we, um, we read through the law and the prophets. If you go through and read some of, those, uh, some of the passages in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, others, uh, there in, in the books of the law and the, in the Old Testament, you find all sorts of very odd, very, very odd and very specific commands. If you have an ox and that ox has harmed someone, and you've not killed that ox, and then that ox harms someone else, then you're the one that's responsible. And we're thinking, 
These are very complicated things. But it, the, the, the writers are, are, God is just giving his people very practical lessons of what it means to love others. You look out for their interests. Because you see worth in them. You value them. And Jesus says that we are to love our neighbors as yourself. John Wesley was, was pressed with the question, who is my neighbor? Um, and he said, my neighbor's two people, the person before me and the next person I meet. My neighbor is the person before me, the person in whose eyes I'm looking. That is my neighbor. And my neighbor is also the next person I meet. So the fact is, you've never met someone who's not your neighbor. How to love someone who, who you have never and will never meet, that's obviously a, 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 an exercise in the abstract. But in a very practical sense, your neighbor is anyone you run across. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Consider that person just as valuable in your life as your own very being is. Jesus, elsewhere in Matthew's account of the gospel, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, he connects something to um, my neighbor. He's quoting... Uh, or he's making reference to again to Leviticus nineteen eighteen, and he says uh, in chapter five, um, verse forty three, he says, "You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor." And notice in your scriptures, if if you're looking at that verse, the quote ends there. No longer do you have the italics there, and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, "This is what you've heard." Said, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Because that's how God loves. Those around the cross who are cursing Him and spitting upon Him, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They don't understand For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and, and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, they appreciate one another when they pat their own, you know, you pat my back, I pat yours, we're, we're happy. If you greet your brethren only, what do you have more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is calling them to have a perfect heart, a heart that is everything that is intended to be, a heart like God's, and therefore a heart that loves even one's own enemies. Jesus calls us to love others to the extent that we see others not as our competitors, not as threats 
to our success, not as our enemies, but to see them as people made in God's very own image and to love them. That is the type of love that God has for us. In fact, one of the um, one of the uh, theological constructs of the New Testament found in Paul's writings is that even when we were enemies of God, He sent His Son for us. We had set ourselves up as as His foe. And God sent His Son for us to redeem us, to rescue us. And He calls us as people who profess to know and love Him to therefore love our neighbors as ourselves, even our enemies. As I pose the question for the last few weeks, What does God want? He wants a heart that is entirely His. He wants our very center to be His. Our core. Everything within us to be His. That means He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. Only you. All of you. God's not that complicated. He just wants everything of you. He I, I forget who, who's, uh, who is popular for saying it, but uh, he doesn't ask for much. All he asks for is all of you. <laughs> he wants our lives to be lived like His. He wants our hearts to beat like His. He wants us to love like He loves. He wants us to see others as He sees them. He wants us to give ourselves for their sakes as He gave Himself and gives Himself daily for our sakes. Going back to that first thought, God wants us to give Him our hearts so that He can give us His. That's what He's looking for. That's what He's seeking. That is what pleases Him. Hearts that are completely and utterly, totally, without reservation, without caveat, given to Him. And therefore loving like he loves. Please take out your communication cards. And on the back. There's a place for you to respond. And mark what um, your intentions are this morning. In response to hearing God's word. In response to hearing him ministering to your hearts. I wonder if perhaps you would say. You know what I'm going to ask God to change the way I think. I don't, I don't think like God thinks. I don't see others the way He sees them. I don't see others the way the Scriptures call me to see them. I see others as my enemy. I see others as my competition. I see others as people who are threats to me. And I want, to, I want God to change the way I think. 
I want Him to reorient my mind, to recondition my heart. Perhaps your response would be, I want to love others this week in a, in a little bit different way, a little bit more intentional way. I, it's so easy for, for all of us. It's so easy for me to say, oh, I, you know, I love other people. How intentional are we in loving others? Because remember, love is not just, it's not a feeling. It's not something that we muster up. It is to see worth in others and therefore to express our interest in them and to build value into them. And how intentionally do we show that value that we have for others? How intentionally do we increase their value and their worth by our activities? And perhaps you're saying, you know what? I've not been much good at loving God. Um, I find myself in a... Um, I find myself in a... Um, in a spot where I think I need to return my heart to His hands. The fact is, that's tough to do. It's tough to say, I'm going to place my heart in His hands. Because to place our hearts in His hands means our hearts are no longer in our hands. They're in His. That takes quite a bit of trust. But perhaps that would be your prayer this morning to give your heart back to Him, to trust Him with your life, to trust Him with the very core of your being. If you'll notice also on the back of your bulletins, you've got those same exact responses that you can hang on to. We want you to keep your bulletin, look back through it, look, read, read back through the scriptures that we've read, sing back through those songs that you know, and um, hang on to that bulletin for the week but then uh, drop off your communication card in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary, we ask. Let's pray.